What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good morning to those of you tuning with us online this morning, to those of you here in my presence this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday morning here at Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor, for those of you tuning online this morning, of Next Level Freedom Church. We are located at 381 East Deerwood Drive, currently here in Jackson, Missouri. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to meet you and your family in person and pray with you about any needs you may have going on in your life. Those of you here this morning, thank you for coming. We're going to tune back into our series that we began here about five weeks ago now, I guess. This will be part five of our Signs of the Times series that we began several weeks back, but we also began it with the narrow path message that we had the week before that, and it all has tied together. I was in the middle of a Jacob series, and you've heard the story over and over if you've tuned online or here, that I was in the middle of a Jacob series, and I had Eddie Street come give his testimony, and on my way out that Sunday morning after we had packed everything up here at the Civic Center, I asked God, are we going to continue the Jacob series this week? And God basically said, no, I need you to talk about the narrow path. Jump to the following week. We talked about the narrow path. And then that week, God said, next week, I want you to talk about Matthew chapter 24. And we are continuing into Matthew chapter 25 today. We've been discussing over the last several weeks the Olivet Discourse. For those of you who don't know what that is, or maybe this is your first time tuning into one of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and check out previous messages. I'm not going to jump back today as much. But the Olivet Discourse, just to kind of give you a definition, it's called Olivet because it takes place on Mount Olive. It's a discourse, and what a discourse is, is a block of Jesus' teaching in each gospel. There are sections that Jesus teaches for sometimes three chapters, maybe, I don't know, two or three, usually, maybe a little bit more than that on some of them. But he's got these blocks of teachings where he is teaching a message. There are five of those in Matthew. The Olivet, Olivet Discourse is the final one. And on our first, when we did the Narrow Path series, that was the end of the first discourse Jesus had in Matthew. So it's amazing how God has been tying all this together. I wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't God telling me to do it. So somebody out there needs to hear it. And there has been a lot of talk throughout this series about the church waking up and recognizing the signs of the times that we are living in right now. Now, we are closer than ever in history so far to the last of the last days to where Jesus is going to be making his triumphant return. And we're going to talk more about it today. But the church has fallen asleep, it seems, in the midst of times that the disciples and those even in the Old Testament looked forward to. They've fallen asleep. 
Yet we are living in those times now. It is an exciting time, I want to be honest. If you're a believer, this is an exciting time to be a part of God's church because we are just sitting back and watching God fulfill prophecy after prophecy. Things start happening in this world. And I've said it over and over the last several weeks. I believe we are quickly approaching this great revival that Jesus talked about. We read the verses, I believe it was the first week in Matthew 24 where the whole world will have had an opportunity to hear the gospel and then he makes a statement that says then the end will come now you can go back and check that out if you want further details on that but what he was saying is once this great revival happens once this great awakening happens then the tribulation or the time the dark times on this planet will begin If you're a fan of the seven-year theory, then the first three and a half years are peace, and the last three and a half are hell on earth. And I believe we are quickly approaching those days to where we are going to see Jesus' triumphant return may even be in my lifetime, and I'm excited for that this morning. This morning, we're going to be jumping on over to Matthew chapter 25 as we continue the Olivet Discourse. I had to get a little bit of preaching out of the way this morning, so (laughs) I hope that was a word for some of you. I came up with the title because last week, remember, we titled the message, Always Be Prepared, because we were talking about preparation a lot. Well, this week, we're going to be talking about two, basically two different things, and so I decided to go ahead and title this week's message, Preparation and talents preparation and talents God has given each of us a certain talent not necessarily money like it talks about in these passages and I believe it's a parable for a reason Jesus was given an example God has given so many gifts to those of us who are still here the question is what are you doing with that gift that God has given you Or are you sitting on it and nothing's happening? So we're going to talk more about that here in just a minute, so I don't want to go off on that. What I want to do this morning real quick is pray, and then we're going to get into our first passage of Scripture here this morning as we begin talking about preparation and talents. Father God, we thank you this morning, Lord, for those that are tuning with us right now online, whether it be the podcast, YouTube, Rumble, Parlor, wherever they're checking this out at, God, Facebook, wherever they're checking it out, God, I just pray right now that you would touch the individuals listening, whether they be here or whether they be online, that your word would go forth on this microphone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, let's get started. We're going to be beginning our passage of scriptures this morning, right there in Matthew chapter 25, like we said. Verses 1 to 13. Now, I know that's a lot of reading, but we're going to read it all at once, and then we're going to talk about it. We're not going to spend as much time here as we are in the next part, but go ahead and get your hearts ready to receive. Here it is, Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out and meet him! 
Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you, or for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10 says, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. We're going to talk about that more here in just a minute. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Here is a theme that we've seen a lot over the last several weeks. We don't know the day or the hour or the time exactly of Jesus' coming. But what we do know is it's going to happen. And it's going to catch many people, like these virgins, off guard. We talked about the church being asleep. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So our first, if you want to call it a point this morning, the first thing we want to talk about is this passage, which is the parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the ten virgins. Not only do we need to be watchful and faithful, but we need to be ready. What did we notice here in this story about the foolish virgins? The virgins that were wise brought extra oil, and the lamps they were talking about here, actually I'll talk more about that in a second, I don't want to get ahead of myself. They brought the extra oil so that if their lamps, and if the master took a long time, or the bridegroom, sorry, in this passage, took a long time coming, that they would be prepared and ready and still be able to light their torches or their lamps to greet the bridegroom. This parable specifically teaches readiness in the light of the unknown time of the coming of the Son of Man. The foolish ones weren't ready. They weren't ready to receive the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? Well, throughout Scripture, we find in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom of the church. We're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament of where that comes from here in just a minute. But you need to understand here, the ten virgins are bridesmaids who are not yet married. Think of the church when you think about that. They're not yet married. If you're a member of the body of Christ, the bridegroom has not returned yet. The church is known, and we hear about it in Revelation and different passages as well in Scripture, as the bride of Christ. Why are we the bride of Christ? Well, it's a symbolism. It's a way that Jesus helped us to understand just how this relationship thing works. So the bridegroom has not come yet, but the bride is here waiting. They're not yet married. We're not yet joined with the master, the son of man who is yet to come, which we know is Jesus. The word for lamp here is not a typical lampstand to light a typical Palestinian home. It was a larger dome-shaped container with rags soaked in the oil to light the way while a person was walking at night. Here's a catcher. It could last for hours as long as the replenishing oil was brought as well, or you had it with you 
as well. So these are, these are not your typical little lampstands that you find in a typical Palestinian home back in this day. This is a bigger dome-shaped thing where you would have, you would light it up and it's ran off oil and these rags so it continually burns. Some of you may have seen the old lamps and the old things we used to light houses when the power went out or my mom had some. They were oil lamps where the cloth came up and the oil, you had to keep the oil filled. As long as there was oil in that lamp, the fire would burn. So if the power went out you'd be able to see now that's a smaller version of what we're seeing here but the key is in order to keep it lit when you need it you have got to have the extra oil in other words you've got to be prepared for a possible long wait how long has the church been waiting on the return of christ well two thousand years give or take a few years right jesus said he was coming He's still coming. He's prolonged. Church has been looking for him. Once again, I said it at the beginning. Jesus, as we talked about over the last several weeks, mentions the birth pains. They're not necessarily end yet, but you can. he gave us things throughout what we've been talking about over the series to be looking for in order to be ready and prepared and watchful for the Son of Man. Well, here's the deal. It appears, and the theologians and the authors of this commentary and things I've been using appear to believe that this big revival that is coming where the world will come to know Christ is going to be a major, or will have an opportunity, I should say, to hear the gospel and come to know Christ, is going to be a major turning point, and that will set the stage for Jesus said the end. However, he's referring to a period on this earth we, you've probably heard us called the tribulation, however you look at it, dark days on the planet will begin. So there will be a time of awakening. There will be a time of revival here on the planet. However, after those times, it's going to be a scary place to live. However you want to view that. Whether the church is raptured out of here and not here anymore, or however it takes place, it will be a dark time for humanity. Jesus is the bridegroom. So where do we get this bridegroom um, thought here in this passage? Well, there are several verses in the Old Testament. I just wanted to read one this morning to kind of give you an idea that this um, comparison has been around for a while. Check out Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 real quick. It says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Now check this out. What's a widow? It's a person without a husband. Remember, the husband has died off. However, verse 5 says, For your maker, referring to God there, your maker is your husband, a.k.a. bridegroom that we've been talking about. The groom is the husband of the bride. So this term has been around for years. Let me finish the passage. I know I started talking. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, capital R. He is the one that is going to redeem you. He is called the God of all the earth. God has compared himself for years before Jesus came. He was compared as the husband of the church, or it wasn't the church then, the, the husband of the people of Israel in this time. 
Both the wise and the foolish virgins had fallen asleep. Remember I talked about it at the beginning? The, they were, it wasn't just one or the other. They were both asleep. However, when the wise virgins woke up, they were ready. There's a wake-up happening right now in the church, in the body of Christ. It's happening now. This isn't something I'm talking about that's coming in the future. It's happening now. We're seeing eyes open now. Things are happening now that is waking up the body of believers. Let me go ahead and finish reading this statement. Both the foolish and wise virgins had fallen asleep. And in the middle of the night, there was a call that the bridegroom had arrived. It caught them off guard. A theme we've heard over the last several weeks as we've been talking about the second coming of Christ. It is going to catch many people, especially those who aren't following the signs of the times. It's going to catch them off guard. They're not going to be ready. The difference is if you're truly a believer and it catches you off guard, you're ready. You've received Christ you're saved, you're born again, however you want to call it. You are a believer. That's the difference in the virgins here. The foolish ones weren't ready. You notice they were asking the wise ones, give us some of your oil. Our, our torches or our lamps are burning out. And they said, no, because if we give you some, there's not going to be enough for both of us. Go get your own. Go to the bio. The bio. So go get ready. You should have been ready. You should have been ready for this day. You've been asleep. All this time, sleeping right next to us, you could have went and gotten your oil, but you didn't. You slept, and then when the wake-up call came that said, the bridegroom's here, now you want us to give you oil. No, the church has been telling the world for years, Christ is coming back. And the problem we see in today's society is, it's not just people rejecting it, the church is falling asleep. And it's time to wake up. I believe that is why God stopped me in the middle of what we were already doing to say, hey, I got something I need you to teach. The time is drawing near. The church needs a wake-up call. If you're a believer, once again, let me stress, you're ready, but you need to wake up. Look at the signs. Look at the things happening around you. Study your word. Don't take my word for it. Get you a good commentary. Get you a good book that can go alongside these passages yourself. Study it out yourself. Only those who have been adequately prepared are ready to go. Believers, you've received Christ. You're ready to go. Disciples of Jesus will be ready for their arrival of the Son of Man. I should have read that differently. Disciples of Jesus will be ready for the Son of Man's coming. When he would come through the bridegroom's return. The destiny of those who are not ready awaits outside the shut door. They had their opportunity. They had their moment. You've had 2,000 years. Don't tell me you haven't had time to prepare. When Jesus returns, it's going to happen. I know some of you are like, I didn't live that long. Well, you've had, it's been 2,000 years. He's given plenty of time for people to wake up. But many people are falling asleep or many people aren't paying attention and they're not going to be ready when Christ returns. So those, in those instances, once it comes, it's too late. This is what you've heard the church talk about for years. You, some of you are like, well, well, they're just trying to scare me. No, 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 no. 
We're trying to warn you so that you can be ready so you don't have to be scared and you can be prepared when Jesus does actually return. And if it catches you off guard, like it's going to catch many church people, if you're truly a believer, you're still going to be ready. You can still, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You can still light up that lamp and make it bright again because it may be going dim, but you can still light it up. You can fuel your fire because you got the extra oil. But those that wait too long, once the door's shut, it's too late. They weren't let in. Let's continue reading there in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 here real quick. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another another one bag. Each according, check this out, we're going to talk about more in a minute. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Verse 16 says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Point number two this morning, if you want to call it a point, the next thing we want to talk about is The parable of the talents. Hence the title of today's message, Preparation and Talents. Let's talk about talents. What do we mean by talents? Well, we're not necessarily just talking about money. However, if you're interested and you would like to know about this, what's going on here is this is a very wealthy man, and what they tell us here is that in modern-day society, the amount he has just given away to each of these servants comes to a grand total of, check this out, in today's terms of value, the landowner dispersed approximately, check this out, I couldn't believe it, blew me away. Between the three of them, approximately 1977600 dollars between these three servants did he disperse. So it's a wealthy man. He's putting a lot of trust in these servants, right? Now, here's the deal. As we read that passage, and I don't want to hang here too long because I want to get through this parable as well. As we read through that passage, you notice he entrusted each of them, and what it said was, according to his ability. Some people are always asking for more, but they couldn't handle more if God gave it to them. Some of us, that's you. Some of us, that's you. Some people... God gives them a lot because he knows they can handle a lot. Some people, he gives it somewhere in between because he thinks, you know, they can handle it, but maybe not as much as the first servant that got, you know, the ten talents, right? So he gives them half of that, right? So according to your ability, what you're able to handle, God knows that better than you do. I think many of them. Now, some of you might be looking at me like, uh, I, yeah, I got an idea of where I would fall in that category. Some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, I can handle a lot. Some of you, it's like, eh, I couldn't handle a whole lot. But I thought it was interesting. $1,977,600 was dispersed between just these three servants. So we are talking about a wealthy man. Let's continue reading there about what happened. Now, remember, what happened, because we're, we're going to hit on it a little bit, but let me go ahead and hit this real quick. The first servant, remember, he got the 10. He doubled it, got another 10. The next one got the 5. I believe I'm getting these numbers right. Or no, the the man received 5 bags. Okay, so there was 5 bags, and he doubled it and made it 10. That's what I was getting at. The second one got 2 bags. He doubled it and made it 4. 
And according to the NIV translation, there is bags of gold, right? And then the third man, what did he do? He's a little nervous. He buried it. This way I can give my master exactly what he gave me when he comes back. That is not what God is asking us to do when he gives us talents. He's wanting us to use those talents to create more talents, and we're not just talking about money. Now, maybe you're one of those people God has blessed with the ability to make money, and that's a good thing. God wants to bless you. He wants to use you. But here's the deal. What are you using the money for? That's what can be the kicker. Are you using it to further God's kingdom? Or are you just one of those people that selfishly just everything's for yourself? If you are a wealthy person, let me encourage you. You need to be giving some of that out, helping the people around you. The amazing thing, and I don't want to go sidetrack, the amazing thing about the church we read about in Acts is everyone sold all they had so that they could give to the poor. That's the type of humility, that is the type of attitude a Christian should approach When God blesses them, it's not that God doesn't want you to have money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he gives you, and one of our themes we have here uh, when we do our offering is blessed to be a blessing. God gives you so much so that you can be a blessing to other people. Keep that in mind the next time you're thinking about how you should spend that money, especially around this time of year, right? All right. Matthew 25, as we continue there in verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags or five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Notice the reward. We're going to talk more about it. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22 says, the man who the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, check it. I'm going to stop right there for a second because here's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about, I called it point three this morning, whatever you want to call it, the faithful servants for a second. First of all, let me point something out. Because when I read text, when I read scripture, I try to put myself in the people's shoes so I can understand better what's going on. Can you imagine? Now, maybe these servants didn't see each other on a regular basis. Maybe they did. The last servant right now. Okay, we haven't got to him yet. But we know he took the one bag of gold he was given and he buried it and said, I'll give him back what he had. Now, he's probably third in line, right? The two in front of him have doubled what we're giving them. Can you imagine probably the shame and embarrassment maybe this this servant is going through right now, thinking in his mind? Because he hasn't approached him yet, right? But the master was proud of the two that had doubled their talents. Let's call them talents for a minute. God has given those of you listening to me, those of you here, talent. He's given you some sort of talents, whatever it be, that you can use in the exercising and furtherment of God's kingdom. The question becomes, what are you doing with that talent? Are you using it so that you can double it, so that you can further God's kingdom and push forward with God's plan for your life? Or are you like the foolish servant here who went out and buried it because you were afraid of losing what you had? 
The identical statement of praise to both servants indicates that the point of the parable is not on the total amount earned, but on the faithful responsibility in living up to one's potential and giftedness. The reward of earnings bestowed may differ, but both servants received the identical joy in the presence of their master. Yeah, one had ten, one had four. But the joy was equal by the master because they doubled what they had. What are you doing with the gifts God has given you or the talents God has given you? Or if it's money, are you doubling the money so that you can help other people to succeed? If you're hoarding it to yourself, that's a whole different message for a whole different day. But you need to understand something. I always, when I read this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking about what the third servant, as he's standing there waiting to approach the master, is thinking. Because we're getting ready to talk about him. If I was that servant, and maybe he didn't think like that, I would be embarrassed to approach the master knowing that the other two that got the gifts doubled them. And I buried it. I didn't do anything with it. God's given many of you talents, and you've just buried them. You don't use them. You don't do anything with them. God's given many of you gifts to use and exercise in the church. And I'm not necessarily talking about just the physical walls, that too. What are you doing with that gift? What are you doing with that talent? Let's talk about the wicked servant. Matthew 25, verse 24 to 27. Here's what it says. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. But I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master, check out the response here. Even though he got back what he gave him, check out what he says. (coughs) His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Mm, That hurt. Ouch. He was embarrassed enough, right? Now he's getting called wicked and lazy with an explanation point. Check it out. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The master saying at least... And they believe that bankers here, like banks like we see today, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about money changers, people that have been gifted, that people pay a certain fee at this day to make them more money with the little bit that they give them. So it's kind of like, uh, like the stock market or something where you like buy in. Nowadays, I guess that would be a good comparison, where you buy in and then you double that. However they're doing it, these money changers here is what it's, they believe it's referring to, can make money. So what he's saying is you could have at least given what I had given you, paid one of these money changers to at least double it for me so that when I return, or he didn't even say double, he said it with interest, he could have gained at least interest. So it would have been more than what he got by burying his talent. The wicked servant. Point number four this morning. The wickedness of the third slave primarily stems from his attitude about his master, which in turn has led up to, led to laziness, and bad stewardship. Had he truly loved his master, he would not have attempted to place the blame on him, 
but would have operated out of love. What do you mean place the blame on him? Well, what did he say to his master? He's like, well, I knew you were a hard man, and you so were you. So basically saying, I knew that, you know, you're, you're a hard man. I didn't want to, you know, do anything with it because I didn't want to lose what you gave me, and then you'd be mad at me. So what did he do? He intent, in the way of looking at it, he blamed his master for him not doubling the money or doing anything with it. That's what it's saying there. Well, because of how you are, Master, that's why I kept it. Master's like, you knew how I was? And you didn't even give it to the money changers to at least get me some interest? Wicked servant. And we're going to talk about the punishment. Let's go to there. Matthew 25, verses 28 to 30, as we get ready to wrap up here this morning. Matthew 20, or 25, 28 to 30 says, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Point number five, let's talk about abundance and punishment. What happened with the first two servants? They doubled it. They were rewarded by their master. He said, come in and enjoy the happiness with me. What did he do? He entrusted them with more. Did you notice the first part? I love this because in today's society, this would be what's considered unfair. This isn't fair. But this master is a businessman. He's at least a millionaire. He knows how to run things. Because you notice it said he'd take the bag of gold from him, give it to not the one that had two bags, give it to the one that had ten bags. Or not the one that originally started with five and gained five more. Don't give it to the one that's now got four bags. Give it to the one with ten bags. Well, you, you skip the middleman? Uh-huh. Because here's the deal. Think business for a second. Who do you want to be in control of that investment? This is just a business. This is just a natural common sense. If you're a business person, you want to get put your money with the person that's going to be able to gain more. Not only that, but they're going to be able to handle what you give them and double it for more. Now, maybe, maybe there's the idea that that middle one, maybe he had, you know, he doubled what he had, but maybe the master knew that's, you know, that's pretty much what he can handle, so that's good. He's doubled it. He's done good. And maybe he knew that the guy that had five and doubled it to make ten, now, you know, this guy, he can handle more. So let's give him some more, right? Spiritual responsiveness emphasizes that wise and conscientious use of, of one's God-given abilities is a responsibility that accompanies a right relationship with God. What? Major turn there, Pastor. Hang on. Yeah. So we've just jumped to what the story is actually getting at. What's Jesus trying to get at with this story? Your God-given abilities, if you're truly a believer, it is your responsibility as a believer. And if you're in a right relationship with God, you're going to use those God-given abilities to prosper God's kingdom. The first two servants are true disciples. The third is not. Notice the theme. We've talked about that the last several weeks. The true and the fake disciples. We've talked about that. 
So once again, Jesus is coming back to this. Now remember, this is something Jesus has said all at once. So we broke it up over a few weeks. But Jesus is emphasizing a point here. True disciples will be prepared. They'll be watchful. They'll keep an eye out. They'll know how to watch the signs of the times. And they're going to use their God-given abilities to further the kingdom and maybe even double those abilities because they learn. We learn as we go. The first two are true disciples. The last one's not. What do you mean by that? Perseverance should not come from a self-advancing motivation. It's never about you. It's never about seeing what you can do and how you can make yourself better. It's always about how can you help God prosper his kingdom. Yeah, he doesn't need you, but he chooses to use us. Perseverance should not come from self-advancing motivation. It should be demonstrated in serving others as Jesus did. Jesus left everything he had in heaven to come to earth, to wrap himself in flesh, become a human, become one of us, just so that we could have a chance at life. It's called humility, acting in what we've been called, what God has called us to do. So we should be using our gifts and our talents to serve others like Jesus did. Because if anybody had the right to boss over other people, I would say it would be God, but Jesus didn't do that. He gave us an example of how to serve others. It's always about serving. In the house, out of the house. If you're in a house or you go to church and you tune online, you're not necessarily here. You need to figure out in the church you're at how you can serve in that house. And use your God-given ability that you have brought to that house, because only you have your abilities, to further God's kingdom in that house. Outside of these walls, you need to figure out how I can use my God-given talents, God-given abilities to advance God's kingdom in my everyday life. That's where I want to stop this morning. Next week, I believe, next week we're going to wrap up chapter 25 and we're going to wrap up this series, Signs of the Times, and we'll see where God goes. I'm planning at that point to do a mini Christmas series, hopefully, um, but we'll see where God goes with that because, once again, when I get my car and drive away, he might tell me something different. So right now, next week, we're going to be wrapping up our Signs of the Times series. I hope you'll tune in because we're going to be talking about the coming judgment. We're going to be talking about the judgment that's coming. Jesus has given all these signs. He's given all these warnings. He's given all these things to look for. He's, we've, we've talked about people being unprepared. We've talked about even the church being unprepared, people in the church being unprepared when he returns. Now we're going to talk more about the judgment next week. So... That's next week. Thank you so much if you're tuning online. Let me go ahead and dismiss you this morning. If you're looking out there at me right now and you're one of those people that says, you know what? I've never had a relationship with God. My life is a mess right now and I don't know where to go next. Let me tell you and encourage you, your first step is to trust in Jesus. Become a believer. Get saved. Begin born again. You just simply ask. It's simple. How do I do that? Well, it's simple. You just ask. You say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death, that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. And it's not even about the wording. It's about the relationship, where you go from here. Salvation is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. You hear me say that over and over each week. It's a journey. Life is a journey. Where you go from here determines whether you're a true disciple or a fake or a false disciple. It's all up to you. It's in your hands now. What I want to do, though, is if you prayed that prayer online and you're, once, you're born again, and I want to say congratulations, first of all. Welcome to the family of God. I also want to encourage you to go to our website, nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. In the upper left corner, I want you to click on the menu button. There's a drop box that drops down. You go all the way to the right side. There's a link that says the road to new life. If you'll click on that link, it'll take you to a separate website I created in college, which will walk you through the plan, the process of salvation. There are scriptures there. You follow each page in order. When you get to the very last page, there's a prayer similar to the one I just prayed here with you this morning. And also there's a contact form, which comes directly to my email, which is trentoncruz at yahoo.com. If you receive Christ this morning, I want to know about it. I want to celebrate with you. Your next step is to find you a good church home and begin your discipleship journey in getting a closer relationship with God. Thank you so much for tuning in with us online this morning. Uh, thank you once again for checking us out, whether it's the podcast, the website, any of the other platforms that we're on. Thank you so much for checking us out this morning. We'll see you next week as we'll wrap up our series, The Signs of the Times. God bless. We'll see you there.